Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, NFC Preview Edition. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, and joining me to preview what's shaping up to be an exhilarating Week 7. Nah, I don't know. It's football. It's Week 7. I was going to say, it doesn't look that great, actually. Kevin Cole, <laughs> you just heard him. What's up, Kevin? What's going on? No, I mean, everything is great because we have DFS when our fantasy teams are dead. We have, you know, betting, recreational purposes only. Uh, dial 1-800-DEGENERATE-GAMBLER. Uh, uh in any local zone that you have there to put a little spice on that action uh we don't have the broncos in prime time i believe for this week so we have that going for us we, we got we, we got some good stuff we've now completed our weekly podcast goal of talking about the afc before the nfc on the nfc pod and the nfc before the afc on the afc pod so with that we can get back to every single tradition NFC team you gotta have you gotta with, have traditions without tradition what the hell are we kevin yeah, it's the right, fabric first, of society First place Eagles on a bye, sitting pretty at six and now Your second place New York Football Giants, rather inexplicably at five and one. And you know we can talk about why they're doing that and the Saquon Barkley one man show. But Kevin, I want to find out if this Wandale Robinson hype is real. He was really efficient for one game. We have seen this offense the entire year really do nothing throwing the football. They have one completion that happened in week one, thrown over 20 yards this entire season. They do not have a 200-yard receiver yet this season. If you look at their wide receivers, let's see. It looks like, yes, literally week one, Sterling Shepard was the wide receiver 24. Week five, Darius Slayton was the wide receiver 22. What's the ceiling on Wandale Robinson? Why am I seeing Wandale Robinson? Oh, you need to go get him no matter what in every single waiver wire tweet out there. Do I think he could be a fine flex? Sure. But I'm also like this week and beyond. Wandale Robinson versus George Pickens for me is like a very good conversation. And Pickens is someone that is just buried like in the wide receiver three, wide receiver four conversation right now. Why is everyone losing their minds about, Ke- about Wandale Robinson, Kevin, and is it warranted? Are they losing their minds about Wandale I, Robinson? I feel like they are. Maybe it's just because this Whatever week on the wires that, sounds, that sounds like that sounds a little gloomy there. Like what? I don't know what. What does it take to get them? I, hopefully not that much, depending where you are. Okay, so the Giants right now are twenty eighth in pass rate versus expectation, and this is, you know, they've been in these games though, so that's hurt. That's hurt their pass rate also here, which won't necessarily be the case. So yeah, I think the ceiling is affected here. Maybe. You're, the thought is it's it's rough 
out there on these waiver wire streets when it comes to wide receivers. So if you're going to throw a dart at anyone, you're going to want to look at a rookie who has that sort of upside path here. But I'm with you. You know, I'm still going with guys like Pickens and others who have shown that they can do something so far. You're hoping you'll see something this week, which will then get you encouraged going forward. Robinson was not highly involved. He was highly targeted for how often he was involved, but he wasn't highly involved in the passing game, running 35% of the routes. Uh, he was just getting targeted basically half of the time when he was when he was running a route that that target rate won't continue. But hopefully the 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 usage will go up in terms of routes. So I don't think it's necessarily a week seven thing where you got to get this guy in your lineup. You're hoping week eight, week nine, week 10 by weeks guys get injured. You can fill them in if you need to. PFF app. We have this awesome start sit feature where it takes my ranks, Kevin ranks and Nathan Yonke, our third full-time member of this lovely PFF fantasy crew. All of our ranks, you put in your, your dilemma and we tell you that based on, you know, where we have the guys ranks, who would be starting. Nathan also does, you know, weekly rest of season rankings. So I respect Nathan's opinion. You guys hear him every single week here on the waiver wire edition rest of season ranking for Wandale Robinson wide receiver 60. We are all on the same page. This week, the Giants in Jacksonville Jaguars favored by three points despite the upstart, uh, you know, five and one Giants game total at 42. Do we really trust anyone other than Saquon? I would have to say no, Kevin. With that said, Daniel Jones is on pace to see 133 rush attempts this year. That is tied with Josh Allen. He suffered that ankle injury and Brian Dable said, you know, suck it up. We're going to keep running you a lot, man. So other than Saquon, anything here? Not really. No, no, there, there's nothing here. Again, you're just hoping and praying that maybe you can get a usable wide receiver if every other wide receiver is injured. But no, your Saquon's number one, probably in most people's rankings. Um, and I don't think that's going to necessarily go away because the workload is beyond elite. Daniel Bellinger did have an every down role last week. He's my tight end 17. So if you're really desperate, okay, but probably not third place, four and two Dallas Cowboys. Dak is back. Kevin, will the number one scoring offense be back though? Because as nice as you know, the ginger Jesus Cooper rush era was, and a when is a one is a when this is an offense that we really haven't seen even somewhat resemble that again, league best group from last season. Yeah, I, I think it's tough to come back, but I am somewhat encouraged by the fact that we're talking about Lamb. You know, Gallup getting getting healthy has looked okay. Noah Brown has been a pleasant surprise, although he wasn't really targeted in that debacle last week. Um, you don't have a lot at tight end. I guess Jake Ferguson, maybe you can get something going there. But I think more than anything, the problem is just not having – the dominance on the offensive line that you have hoped to have had in the past, that may be a bigger factor than anything else for getting this offense going. Um, and the defense is really, really good. So they don't have to pass it a ton like they were. Those insane volume numbers that Dak Prescott had before he got injured a couple seasons ago, that's probably not going to return this year. I think it can be effective. It's just going to be hard to see high-end outcomes in any confidence starting anyone outside of CeeDee Lamb in this offense. PFF Sam Monson has updated offensive line rankings each and every week available for you guys on PFF.com. He has the Cowboys 15th going into week seven. And honestly, again, I think that's something that he's looking at week seven and beyond because this year you'd be hard pressed to even rank them that high. They're 20th in PFF's team pass blocking grades. And Kevin, ahead of this matchup here, they're home against the Lions. They're seven point favorites. They're implied for the second most points of the week. Only the Chargers are expecting to score more total points on offense. Like, 
this should be the time where we're confident about putting Zeke in our RB2, RB1 spot. And here we are, and I don't feel that much better about it, man. This is still the league's 28th ranked offensive line and team run blocking grade. I thought Zeke showed more juice than he had all year in that Eagles game. Like, very nice cutback run. Did some good things. But last year, man. Last year, we couldn't get that much out of Zeke in the number one ranked scoring offense with the number one offensive line and team run blocking grade. This year, again, we've already talked about why it's so different, and he is on pace to catch a career low, 17 passes. Ezekiel Elliott, man, again, it's something where last couple of weeks I've had him ranked lower end RB2, borderline RB2, and this week, even with the buys, man, I got him RB18, and when I look at him versus guys like David Montgomery and even Najee Harris, I still think it's a conversation. I will give Zeke the slight edge because of the overall offensive upside now that Dak is back, but still not pretty for a running back that we would have thought when Dak was back would be much more of a you know locked-in starter. Yeah, I mean, the Detroit Lions defense is an abomination, and the fact that the total is 48 and a half here – uh, I don't know if it was week two or week three when the uh, Lions played against the Vikings. Now, this is back in a different environment where totals, people have kind of caught on to the fact that totals have gone down across the board. But still, that was a 52 and a half total. They hit the over in that one. Um, so this is not that big of a number. Yeah, it's big relative to your exciting, you know, uh, Bucks-Panthers matchups or something like that. But it's not that big of a number, which is a little disappointing. You'd hope to get a lot more juice out of this uh, playing, which has been, in my opinion, the worst defense in football, the most fruitful defenses for other offenses, the Detroit Lions. Dead last in scoring defense here through six weeks. So, yes, fire up CeeDee Lamb as the wide receiver one. You dropped him to B. I do think he's going to catch the shadow covers from Jeffrey Okuda. Did have some nice success against Justin Jefferson. Just Make sure, you know, when you realize some of this, you know, getting cost and safety help all game, I'm hard-pressed to say, you know, Akuda quote-unquote, shut down Jefferson. But the other side of the coin, because, again, you're starting CD no matter what the wide receiver cornerback matchup is. Michael Gallup, though, in this spot, looking healthy, to your point, I think Gallup's honestly looked as good as he always has, you know, just the past few years. Um, you know, you can call him a very underrated receiver in the league. He got the 50 million. Cowboys fully expecting him to be their number two pass game option, especially with Dalton Schultz still banged up as well. He's going to be going up against Amani Aruwarie. There you go, Ian. 106th ranked cornerback in PFF coverage grade among 107 qualified players. Kevin, can you name the only cornerback worst? Mm, JC Jackson. Yep, you nailed it. Great job, my mm. friend. I set you up on that one. All right, last place NFC East Commanders sitting at two and four. The Taylor Heineke experience is back, and I am sad. PFF's lowest grade quarterback on passes thrown 20 plus yards downfield last year. Heineke was responsible for the one play that pissed me off more than any other play of last season when he had the audacity, this dude can barely throw a football 40 yards downfield, to wave Terry McLaurin deeper. Waves them deeper like that old feature they had like in Madden 04 and 05, the playmaker thing. Mike Vick once did it and it actually worked because Mike Vick had a freaking cannon for an arm. Heineke waves McLaurin deeper, proceeds to underthrow him by 15 yards, and Terry has to come back, jump up for the ball, and then gets concussed coming down to the ground. So Taylor Heineke, I've not forgiven him for that. I really haven't forgiven him for being you know, just a quarterback that hasn't enabled anyone to consistency inside this passing game. With that said, he did have four top 10 fantasy finishes at various points last season. Kevin, do you think Heineke, like Carson Wentz did for spurts of this year, can flirt with some good fantasy outcomes, even though we already know he is not a good real-life quarterback? Yeah, I mean, the we're talking about Terry, Terry McLaurin, right? 
he was doing more when Heineke was there than than he's been doing so far yeah. this season. So maybe you're hoping that you can get something out of him. I mean, he wasn't fantastic last year, but he was uh, the wide receiver 24 at over a thousand yards, uh, much better than what we're seeing him do so far this season. So I think that's really the hope here is you're going to say, get a little bit more consistency going. He's going to throw turnovers because he is a quote unquote gunslinger. He's like, Brett Favre minus the talent. Um, but that's not bad for fantasy, right? It's not bad to throw pick six for fantasy. It's not bad to have turnovers. That's, you know, taking a sack is going to kill a drive just as much. At least when you're throwing a turnover, you also have some upside of throwing it downfield and potentially getting a catch out of it. So I think it might actually be good for an offense that's been pretty bad. And Carson Wentz has been bad at avoiding sacks. And I think Heineke could be a little bit better at avoiding sacks, although the quality of that offensive line has gone way down from what we saw last year. Five and a half point home dogs against the visiting Green Bay Packers game total resting on a lowly 41. That's just a sad. A That's just a sad. I'm sad for Green Bay that it's only five and a half. That's like kind of insulting to them. I want to say it's even moved down uh, towards Washington a point or two since opening. So, yes, very sad for Green Bay. More on them in just a second. Brian Robinson last week did find the end zone. 17 carries, of course, zero targets because J.D. McKissick and Antonio Gibson also staying plenty involved. This is the problem. I'm not surprised at all of what happened here. Brian Robinson is the starter. That's fantastic. It's similar. I was complaining to Kevin uh, before the show. Like, Kevin, we got Houston organization has no real direction. Things look largely terrible. You look at their personnel moves in the last two years, and there's nothing good to say about any of it. What do we hear about every single day from the head coach, from the organization? Look at our rookie running back. Look how good Damian Pierce is. We're going to give him the ball a lot. That's basically what it is of Washington. Brian Robinson, it's an awesome story. He is the lead back of the three running back committee in a terrible offense that the second they fall behind are going to put him on the bench in favor of J.D. McKissick or Antonio Gibson. This week, Robinson is my RB26 with guys like James Robinson and Jamal Williams. I think that's what he is. I think that's fine, but he is not a must-start option by any stretch of the imagination. What say you? Yeah, not at this point. You're still hoping that he's going to continue to move up as far as his share of backfield touches. He had 17 carries last week to Antonio Gibson with five and then McKissick with two. So you're just going to hope that's going to edge a little bit further in that direction, especially in good game scripts. And then you're also saying, well, you know, 10 routes run for McKissick, seven for Gibson, six for Robinson in a positive game script. So that probably doesn't lay out in those proportions when they're playing from behind, but you're just going to hope that continues to creep up. And then maybe there's a window. Maybe you can snake to some way in three, four weeks from now. If they really like him as someone who, you know, is not explosive is a bigger back. So maybe he's not a natural pass catcher, but he did do it in college can get more of that workload. It's just, again, confidence when it comes to starting him. No uh, need him during flex weeks. Yeah, sure. I remember breaking him down as a prospect and he did seem to have more three down ability than people gave him credit yes. for. I think he caught like 30 of 33 targets thrown his way. No one's confusing him for a McKissick, but capable enough. So yeah, if McKissick and Gibson cease to be part of the picture, sure. It happened with Ramondre Stevenson. It happened with Kenneth Walker. Kevin, sometimes these metal backfields have multiple parties get hurt. And then the last man standing does their thing for the time being, not expecting too much out of Robinson. NFC North, your first place. Five and one Vikings are on a bye, taking us to the three and three Green Bay Packers. 
again, I, you know, everyone's got a big opinion on Aaron Rodgers. I do enjoy the opportunity to hear our two time defending MVP talk for 30 minutes a week on Pat McAfee. And one of the things Rodgers said, which I thought was fair, he basically brought up how before this season, if you look at the NFC, you had the Packers, you had the Rams, you had the Buccaneers, and you had the 49ers kind of as the four big teams that a lot of people thought could go out there and really contend for a Super Bowl. All these teams are three and three. With that said, the Packers, I would put much closer to the Rams than I would the Buccaneers of 49ers in terms of overall concern. How do you feel about this offense and can it be fixed? Because my God, man, seven teams have yet to throw for 250 yards in a game. Panthers, Giants, Bears, Cowboys, Falcons, Texans, fine, fine, fine. And the Packers. This has been bad so far. Yeah, I mean, the problem and I'm a little shocked actually that we have the Packers offensive line ranked as being the fifth best offensive line in the NFL. Cause I don't think that they've been playing nearly as well. El- uh, Elchin Jenkins, I don't think has been that good. Bakhtiari is still getting back to finally getting all the way up to up to snuff there. That's also been a problem. And you combine that with a lack of trust in the receivers and Rogers patting the ball and holding on to it. And there can be some issues there. So you have that and you have the defense, which is supposed to carry them not playing that well. Of all those three and three teams that you named, I'd probably put the Packers last amongst all of those teams for what I think they can do going forward. And the Rams have their issues and their offensive line issues, of course. But I think defensively, I'm more confident in what the 49ers, the Bucks, and the Rams can do going forward than even what the Packers can do. So you're going to hope Romeo Dobbs can emerge some. Randall Cobb is going to be out, and we're talking about a high ankle sprain, so maybe not a return there for a while. You're going to hope Robert Tunyon is probably the guy who's going to benefit more than anyone else, increasing his snap percentage up to about 75%, probably going to be above 80%. So he's the guy that I'm a little bit excited about here. Other than that, you're hoping to get production spread around. You're hoping Aaron Rodgers can figure things out, but the ceiling is a little bit lower on this offense. I'm questioning and maybe you can tell me as if you've watched this a little bit more closely but I'm I thought Aaron Jones looked like he had a ton of juice earlier this year now he's starting to lose some of that snap share versus what he was doing in weeks at least week five to AJ Dillon who looks fine to me don't get me wrong I'd like to see Aaron Jones a little bit more involved it's the usage has been weird because last week it did seem to be trending towards Aaron Jones. And I agree with your statement on it where like they seem to be scrapping some of those two running back packages that every team talks about every off season. And then we usually, you know, see pony package, pony, pony package by this time of the year, it's usually done. And then could, they just, again, play a backup wide receiver over a running back. I don't, when Randall Cobb goes out, maybe that could change things. He is going to miss some times with the ankle, Christian Watson, Sammy Watkins dealing with the hamstring injuries, but I'm not saying Aaron Jones needs to be this 80, 90% snap running back, but Kevin, it'd be a lot cooler if he wasn't averaging four year lows in receptions and receiving yards. I mean, that's the problem for me. It's not even that his usage hasn't skyrocketed. It's gone down in the passing game from last year. And how many times do we reference the, you know, non Devante Adams, Aaron Jones splits and how, you know, borderline erotic those like seven games worth war with Aaron Rodgers focusing on Aaron Jones. And it just hasn't been the case. Aaron Jones this year has 0.4 more expected PPR points per game than Clyde Edwards freaking Hilaire, man. And I know Clyde's getting more scoring opportunities than Aaron has here, but 
Aaron Jones is fifth on the freaking Packers in targets. He's got 23 and Dylan has 20 this year. To your point, it hasn't been close in terms of efficiency. Jones is at 5.8 yards per carry. Dylan 3.9 yards per reception is Jones by a full yard as well. Similar to our ETN James Robinson discussion. I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and say the slasher is just hundred percent better. Look at the yards per carry difference. Oh my goodness. But at a minimum, man, I haven't seen anyone else in this offense give as much juice as Aaron Jones. Maybe they should get him the ball just a little bit more often. So when Unfortunately, Jones, someone that a lot of people drafted to be an RB1, maybe just have an explosion sort of Alvin Kamara-esque year. Not the case. Still a good RB2. Uh, I do think there'll be some better days to come, hopefully, from this backfield. What about Alan Lazard, Kevin? He's got three straight games with at least eight targets. He scored a touchdown in four of five games this year. With that said, I'm... Man, I feel like if he really was that number one wide receiver that Rodgers said he was going to be in the offseason, we wouldn't be seeing, you know, all this Romeo Dobbs usage and all the kind of struggles to really get going. Do you think Lazard is actually going to be this kind of top 24 option and exceeding the trends, which to be fair, he has through five games this year, even despite being banged up to start? Or is this maybe a situation where people should be looking to sell high on him? Uh, Yeah, I don't know how much you're getting as far as sell high. I think... Again, with Cobb being out, maybe that helps float up everyone a little bit and help solidify some of those targets. He has sort of established himself as Dobbs as, you know, you were hoping for that leap, but you haven't gotten it. So that's a little bit discouraging. They're about neck and neck as far as their expected fantasy points so far this year. I still would probably lean Dobbs as being the guy who's going to have the higher ceiling potentially going forward. But for this one particular week, I mean, I'd, st- I'd rank Lazard above him just because of the trends of what we've seen recently. It's just always so hard for Lazard out there, man. He's coming up with great contested catches downfield. And hey, when you got Rodgers able to put that ball pretty much wherever he wants, more plays than not, okay, maybe it's an offense that can live on that a little bit more often than normal. But haven't so far seen uh, – yeah, I, I agree with you. I've been more impressed with Dobbs just than anyone else in this passing game. Hopefully Watson and Watkins can get healthier. Or God forbid they uh, actually go invest some real resources into this wide receiver room via a trade or free agent agency okay chicago bears sitting at two and four in third place here justin fields my god man back-to-back game-winning touchdowns first one's drop second one's bobbled and then mooney's like one inch short of the goal line so hey man don't call it a comeback but we do have back-to-back top 12 finishes over the past two weeks justin fields continues to run as much as pretty much any quarterback not named jalen hurts or lamar jackson in the nfl that said Monday night in New England, eight point dogs, game total about 39 and a half. As much as I want to get back on the field, you know, borderline QB1, better fantasy than real life bandwagon, this just seems like a spot where things are going to, yards and points in general, are going to be awfully hard to come by for fields and the rest of the Bears offense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's like you're really straining the the connection between real football and fantasy football with the case for Justin Fields and taking him and being, being That's like, our job. Maybe, That's our job. maybe he's, but this is really starting to strain that because like, he's so bad and he holds on to the ball for so long. He's so bad at like executing the offense. He just takes sacks like crazy. I know it doesn't matter for fantasy football as much. And even when it comes to rushing, it's really just all scrambles. It's not design runs either. So 
like you can't necessarily count on it. If things were going well in the passing game, if he knew what he was doing passing, he wouldn't be scrambling anymore. And then he'd just be like a low upside passer. And even that rushing goodness would go away. So that's why I'm, I, I want more design runs for Justin Fields. Then I could feel better about actually recommending him. Cause I think it would just be better offensively too, than him going back to pass. And, you know, 40% of the time, either getting sacked or running around because he can't figure out who to throw the ball to weekly shout out to the entire Chicago Bears organization doing everything in their power to get you know a clean read on Justin Fields this year finding out if he can be the quarterback of the future just an awesome offensive situation for him to really be entering (laughs) did you see okay uh, did you see in the Thursday night game when I mean whatever Kirk wasn't you know he was he was he was pointing out a few times there and I would okay no never not everyone's gonna be able to do this but think about the game-winning touchdown to Dawson Knox that Josh Allen had you know, Fields is not like Fields was not throwing it to guys who are NFL open. That's part of the problem. I've heard people say Fields is a slow processor. Maybe he is a slow processor. I think the bigger problem is he doesn't throw it to NFL open guys sometimes yeah. where he needs to just make that throw. Um, and that's the biggest problem. And I don't know what you can do about that as, as an offensive team. I think they have tried to simplify things. They've tried to use play action and the ball just sticks in his hand. Sometimes you just have to throw the ball. And if it's incomplete, it's incomplete. It's fine. Um, if it, you know, if it gets tipped and it gets intercepted, it happens sometimes. You just got to release the ball. And that's the thing. Cause like we saw an example of that with Justin Herbert at the end of regulation, when they were showing like Mike Williams had a couple steps and like, I think the exact point the announcer is making, like that's an open throw in the NFL. Instead, he took the more open play underneath. Okay. Like we'll work on getting up to that next week, but what you can't be doing is taking that sack or just trying to run for your life. Uh, I mentioned, uh, in my James Robinson rant in the last episode, how Robinson was the worst running back in the league in terms of getting stuffed for no gain or a loss. Worst running back in the league. If you actually look at every player, Justin Fields is by far number one in that metric. Unfortunately, shouldn't be the case as a quarterback. So, yep, stay the hell away from this passing game if you can. I know Darnell Mooney has had a brief little bounce back and okay if you want to kind of put him in that Devin Duvernay borderline wide receiver three range. I won't call you completely crazy as I'm pulling up where I have him right now. I do have him higher than Duvernay. I have Darnell Mooney wide receiver 32 uh, ahead of guys like Curtis Samuel, George Pickens, Jerry Judy but again not someone I'm actively trying to squeeze into lineups with Dave Montgomery look I'm looking at Dave Montgomery and Herbert as like a middle class man's version of Zeke and Pollard they're just in the 31st ranked scoring offense so we can't rely on them as much so Montgomery (laughs) Zeke and Pollard were already like the lower middle class you sure they're not like the um the officially uh poor the poor (laughs) poor ones but they're not not starting Zeke and Pollard now are we yeah but that's the thing. Like I have Zeke RB 18. I have Montgomery RB 19. Like, I don't know. I don't Montgomery has a little bit more control of the backfield than Zeke does. Zeke's in that's the true. better offense. It's pretty, pretty tough between them. Herbert's mixing in though, which is tough, which is tough for Montgomery. We're hoping that, you know, if you had Dave Montgomery, you were hoping that that wasn't going to case Herbert is mixing in on, you know, drive by drive basis. He got, you know, some snaps inside the five yard line. So you're not getting all the high value stuff and you might need all of it to be super productive as a running back here in this offense. And as long as Herbert keeps playing the way he is, I mean, another just awesome chunk run last week. Wouldn't be surprised if this split condenses even further. Last week, it was 78% in favor of Montgomery, 22% in favor of Herbert. But again, wouldn't be surprised if that does shrink down more. 70-30, God forbid, even 60-40 moving forward. All right, last place. One and four lines off the bye. 
we saw in the first five weeks, Kevin, you know, this was number one ranked scoring offense before they got blanked by the Patriots. And this was the number 32 ranked scoring defense. We had that awesome Seahawks and Lions game. Do you think that is like basically what version of the Lions do you think was more real there? Is their defense really the worst in the league or is their offense really this group to be, uh, you know, a group that should be considered one of the better offenses in the league? Because for me, I think we might have already seen the best version of Jared Goff and company. And I'm worried about expecting too much more from anyone in this offense other than a Monroe St. Brown and a healthy version of DeAndre Swift. Yeah, but even seeing, you know, how many offenses in the NFL do you have a high-end running back and a high-end wide receiver? Like on this sort of level that we're talking about here. So I think this offense is closer to reality, what we saw in those first couple of weeks, than probably the defense is. I mean, you're just going to lean on general trends that offense is stickier, offensive performance is stickier than defensive performance, and I think those guys are talented. I think Goff is someone with a good offensive line, which he has had, who can make good plays. It's just with those guys out and when things turn sideways, uh, you know, golf can go even further sideways. But they, they have enough pieces to be functional. I mean, that Rams offense that golf led was one of the best offenses in the NFL. Uh, both of those seasons produce high end outcomes for not only Todd Gurley in the backfield, but also, you know, both top 15 ish type of wide receiver or better for cup and Robert Woods in those offenses. So he can produce, he can produce for those players. So I think I rely upon it. I'm more confident in this offense is going to be a tough week for, again, what has been one of the better streaming quarterbacks this year in Jared Goff. Every week in my quarterback column, I just take the the offense for every quarterback, you know, pressure rate allowed. I take the sum of that. And the defense's pressure rate just to get a nice one-way metric on the potential biggest pressure mismatches. And this week, number one, Justin Fields at the Patriots. And number two, Jared Goff at the Cowboys. Michael Parsons and company sitting at seven-point favorites. And as Kevin brought up in our Cowboys discussion, 48.5-point game total. High relative to week seven, not that high relative to what we would expect from this, again, Lions team that just goes back and forth with a high-scoring offense and a defense that can't stop anybody. Hopefully, DeAndre Swift is back. He, it's always seemed like it was the expectation. Dan Campbell said before, rest him, get him through the bye, and then bring him back against the Cowboys. And he is expecting to start the week with a practice. So I ranked DeAndre Swift RB17 just under the thought that maybe he could be limited still because we did see that in week two. If he goes Sunday, without an entry designation he is right back in the position's top 12 and if you want to go higher that is fine by me 8.6 yards for carry this year kevin which hey for deandre swift someone that really last year look at every single rushing metric you want to he was a really bad rusher of the football electric as a receiver and i think we could say small sample size or this or that we have seen that come to fruition this year so swift is back you're starting him jamal williams goes back down to a touchdown dependent rb3 and unfortunately as swift is going to be out of the picture jamal williams isn't someone that necessarily needs to be jammed in the starting lineups they really like keeping Craig Reynolds and even Justin Jackson involved in the absence of DeAndre Swift. So Williams basically becomes like Jeff Wilson at that point. We're not Jeff Wilson, like in an offense that maybe we can expect a little bit more out of depending on the matchup. We're just not getting any targets. NFC South, your first place, three and three Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Looking at this season now, Tom Brady's pass attempts by week, 27, 34, last four weeks, 42, 52, 52, and 40. They are first in overall pass play rate over the last three weeks. Looking ahead this week, they are in Carolina. Next week, they're facing the Ravens, and they got the Rams and the Seahawks. This should be the stretch, Kevin. 
the volume's back. Goblin's healthy. He's playing his full allotment of snaps. We had 90-plus yards last week. Evans is there. Russell Gage is off the injury report. Kind of shout-out Dre McFarlane. He was saying that, you know, Russell Gage starting to get that Tyler Johnson, potentially uh, some of those looks from Tom Brady. So I'm not saying Gage is on the up and up. But the guys he brought in are pretty much healthy, except for Julio Jones. And we always knew that wasn't necessarily a guarantee. This should be the stretch that we see Tom Brady and company get back to looking like one of the more productive passing offenses. But man, Kevin, that Steelers game, I to ha- not have your top three cornerbacks or Minka Fitzpatrick and Tom Brady still really couldn't do anything throughout the afternoon. Do you think that was one bad week or a sign that maybe we should be lowering expectations for, again, what should really be a smash stretch here? Yeah, I'm, I'm still holding out hope. I'm still holding out hope on this. Um, I don't quite understand what left this left, which I don't know if it's him who is directing the bus on this. If it's a Todd Bowles influence, what's going on there. But if you look at first down in this game, they ran the ball 15 times out of 29 offensive plays. So more than 50% of the time on first down. And, you know, they might as well just run quarterback sneaks on a lot of these runs as far as the production that they're getting out of them a lot of the time. And that's what I don't understand. We're getting these wide receivers healthy. I think they can still perform and go well. I do like these theories floating out there, though, that Tom Brady is somehow, uh, you know, losing losing touch uh, with his work ethic is going to Robert Kraft's wedding, is getting divorced. He's out He's back. He's back uh, carousing. Perhaps he's out there in the world. He's enjoying his uh, midlife crisis sort of action. I like this this whole narrative that's being painted out there. I don't think it's true. I think they can get things going. I'm hoping it was a fluke. But this whole run of them playing well and getting back to where they should be, that was supposed to happen against the Steelers, too. The Steelers have not been a defense that you really have to worry about. Now, it was in Pittsburgh. Maybe that's part of it. But l- l- let's really get it going this week. Buccaneers somehow have scored more than 21 points just one time this year, despite all that Leonard Fournette continues to keep on keeping on as an upside RB one, the RB two and expected PPR points per game behind only Joe Mixon this year. So, I'm with you. I do think this is a relaxed situation. We should see the best version of this offense here coming up right away. Again, mentioned this 10 and a half point. 10.5 point favorites on the road against Carolina this week. You're starting Evans. You're starting Goblin. You're starting Fournette. Don't sleep on Kate Otten potentially factoring in. He had an every down role when Cameron Brait missed time a couple weeks ago. Brait will again be missing time, unfortunately, with that nasty concussion he took. So, no, I don't think Brady's going to be force feeding, you know, targets to Otten over some of these other guys. And this is your weekly reminder that Rashad White remains one of the highest handcuff, highest upside handcuffs in all fantasy football. Go get him on the squad. Although he, he did return to being more of a real handcuff this last right. week. I mean, 21 of 26 attempts went to Fournette. And then if you look even in the receiving game, Fournette, 30 out of 42 snaps and Rashad White was in for uh, nine snaps. So, that's something usage-wise to look at. And then I don't think anyone was that concerned, although I think uh, a mea culpa, maybe for myself, I said that it, maybe I was slightly concerned about Chris Godwin's down usage a couple of weeks ago. He was back to being in there for 39 out of 42 routes, 11 targets, all that stuff. Nothing to worry about on that front. Yeah, Chiefs game, he was an every-down player against the Falcons. They really kind of took their foot off the gas when they had that big lead. We got the data point last week. So haven't gotten the explosion just yet. Don't be surprised if it happens this week. Second place, Atlanta Falcons at 3-3. Three and three. Arthur Smith catching a lot of strays for the Kyle Pitts downturn for Drake London, running fewer routes than Lomide Zacchaeus. You know, the backfield, we haven't had anyone emerge. And 
you know, Kevin, the guy's leading the top 10 offense, so it's hard to be uh, overly critical of anything that Arthur Smith is doing at this point as much as fantasy managers such as myself love to bitch about it. And this year, man, ninth in points per game, seventh in EPA per play, number tied for number three in terms of PFF team offensive grade. And just digging into these numbers, man, I'm not saying everything they're doing is like optimal, but it seems to be working so far, but they are unique in what they're doing out there. I mean, this is the league's most run heavy offense. They're the only offense running on over 50% of their snaps, even, you know, excluding garbage time situations. They're number one in play action rate. They use more pistol than any offense in the league. They use more pony, the more two running back formation rates than any offense in the league as well. Do you think it's sustainable or have we just seen Marcus Mariota and company run as hot as they're going to run? Yeah, I think this is about as hot as they're going to run. Yeah, it's a little disappointing for me as someone who is a bit of an Arthur Smith uh, skeptic that earlier this year where he was saying, hey, this is what we're doing and who cares unless unless we win games and then everyone could dunk on him and be like, well, you're not winning games, but now they are winning games. So we can't we can't quite do it so far. But the reason I say it's just unsustainable is. They've been good, not fantastic running the ball. They have been like a top 10 type of efficiency team running ball. So that's fine. But if you look at what they're doing, they, as far as their pass rate versus expectation this year, it's basically the entire NFL, then the Bears at negative 14%, and then the Atlanta Atlanta Falcons at negative 12%. They're almost in Bears territory as far as what they're doing with expectation. No one else is lower than negative six so that's a huge gap between them and everyone else so that's the reason that is definitely unsustainable this is clearly how they want to be playing they're you know high-fiving each other about being three and three right now because of it and how it's going i don't think it's going to continue going forward that said maybe i'm preempting you i might be preempting you right now but (laughs) If Patterson is somehow available anywhere out there in any leagues, if anyone dropped him because of the injury, um, they're going to split this backfield until he comes back. But why not have him on your bench and be ready for a guy who can step in with a team that just wants to run the ball constantly? You got a future Hall of Famer, one of the most talented players with the ball in his hands that we've seen over the past decade available on your waiver wire 100%. Go get my guy, CPAT. He played through that injury in week two. Like it is hopefully something, again, it's always tough to tell. They put a guy in IR and you don't get any updates for weeks on end. It seemed to me when it happened that it was going to be on the shorter side of that recovery. Hopefully Patterson back soon. Damian Williams could also be back soon from a rib injury that landed him on IR shortly into this season in the meantime you cannot trust Tyler Algier Caleb Huntley or Avery Williams and fantasy leagues of all shapes and sizes this week they're in Cincinnati Bengals six point favorites game total at 70 70 47 and a half uh yeah tough to get behind too much of anyone here I just think we need to lower expectations it's not that you can't play Kyle Pitts or Drake London but there's just not enough volume to go around and it hasn't been all that efficient for either guy even when it has this week we are going to see Chidobia Wuzier likely lock up with Drake London one of PFS top 10 highest graded corners on the year. Kyle Pitts, someone that I mentioned in the Browns part, you know, go back and forth every single week, basically between him and David Njoku. I would just say with Kyle Pitts, it's unfortunate that he's not going to be forcing his way into that Kelsey Andrews tier, but who is man? So I do think that there is a chance that Pitts maybe 
gets healthier, has some, you know, more volume go his way when the Falcons aren't able to play with these sort of leads that they've kind of rather inexplicably been able to get. Maybe Kyle Pitts could get back up to that tight end three standing that a lot of us were hoping for. But the problem is it's still going to be a pretty big tier gap, I think, from Andrews and Kelsey down to Kyle Pitts. Is that a fair way of looking at it, Kevin? Yeah, I think that's a fair way. It's just rough. It's just rough out there. And now this is like, again, if, you, if you're if you a bi-week type of situation here, low floor, but, you know, Marcus Mariota is not that bad. And if they do have to pass the ball, what's interesting about him is that we talked about, or at least I talked about the fact that Justin Fields was not getting any actual designed runs. I mean, Mariota is getting designed runs in this offense. It's not that he's scrambling in order to get this rushing production. So at least you have that bit as, as a floor, even though things go on the rails. So he's another guy where outside of um, when, when you look at this offense, there's not a whole lot that you can get very excited about because of how they end up playing. Mariota's a guy where, hey, if, if your quarterback is on by, you need to pick someone up. You're in a deeper league. Everyone has a second quarterback on their bench because they love annoying me, basically. <laughs> That's what everyone does in their in their league. Maybe you can pick him up and start spot start him if you need to in the next few weeks. I don't want to piss off the, oh, he's not owned in any league crowd. How could you suggest him as a waiver wire people? But yes, Marcus Mariota, I do think deserves QB1 treatment this week. I would start him ahead of Jared Goff and Justin Fields due to their aforementioned awfully brutal matchups this week at the line of scrimmage. In third place, we have the two and four Saints this week on Thursday Night Football in Arizona. Cardinals sitting as two-point favorites, game total of 44 and a half. So fantasy-wise, we have Alvin Kamara. As long as this legal situation doesn't completely start going off the walls, he's going to continue to be a weekly RB1. You're obviously starting him. And Chris Olave is back from the concussion while it's looking like Michael Thomas and Jarvis Landry are out. So Chris Olave, someone that's really impressed throughout this year. You can treat him as an upside wide receiver, too, legitimately in what could be a great smash spot. So I think fantasy wise, Kevin, it's pretty clear. And, you know, we don't need to spend every single Saints discussion going over Taysom Hill. I do have Taysom as my uh, tight end 13 on the week. I, I get it. You have your full-time tight ends and then you have your part-timers. I will take Taysom over the part-timers because we're more confident. He's going to get touches on his limited reps. I will focus on this quarterback situation. I am a Jameis fan, defender, whatever you want to call it. A lot of that comes down to I just enjoy watching the guy play football. His mistakes put a smile on my face, as do him just having the highest average target depth in the league. I think you put it best a couple of weeks ago, though. Jameis does have a tendency to drive his own coaches insane uh, for stretches. Andy Dalton, the opposite. Now, Andy Dalton, I've always referred to him more so as a sum of its parts quarterback. And right now, not that many parts to work with. So what have you seen out of Andy Dalton versus Jameis Winston this year relative to the fact that Jameis was largely getting to work with the healthier version of this offense, whereas Dalton the last few weeks, I mean, he's still in the Marquez Callaway and Traquan Smith out there for crying out loud. Yeah, I mean, he's getting the ball out of his hand. He is kind of executing the offense for whatever that's worth. He's definitely using Kamara much more. I mean, it's been these last two weeks, right, that we've seen the top 10 finishes from Kamara. And it's not just outproduction in terms of efficiency. He's really stepped up in terms of his expected fantasy points with what's going on there. You're getting more of that Drew Brees-ish sort of number one option and on certain pass plays can be – Camara here versus what we've seen in the past. So that's really what you're gaining. And, you know, you mentioned the high average depth of target. Well, you get the shorter average depth of target for Andy Dalton, which is going to lead to more of those of those running back looks. 
Um, and, you know, we saw some Jameisisms uh, start to come back with the interceptions, things like that, that we're not seeing as much with Dalton. He's put him in a position to compete. I mean, they were very close to winning that London game. And then they, you know, they look pretty good offensively here. It's hard to really fault what he's done. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't know where Jameis stands with this team really going forward. So I don't know if he's necessarily some guy they feel like they have to put back in the lineup when this back injury is something where if they really wanted to, he probably could have been playing these last couple of weeks. When Tony Romo got this in the past, he missed a week and then he played the entire rest of the season. Uh, I think they're showing some caution here with Jameis because of the fact that Andy Dalton is looking all right. Last place, Carolina Panthers sitting at just one and five. So I'm happy Robbie Anderson got pissed, Kevin. If he's not, if you're not gonna get pissed off in a game where you're starting quarterback, who's gonna do it this week though? That's what I like. Every player on the Panthers is just gonna <laughs> is gonna one by one is gonna be sitting on the cooler when uh, the cooler is gonna be like more more populated than the bench uh, with everyone trying to get traded out of town. But th- th- just last week, that was the most, I think, pathetic offensive game plan I watched all season long. And that's saying a lot with some of the things that Texans have trotted out there and done uh, with Pep Hamilton this year. Former PFF colleague of ours, Andrew Erickson, pulled up this stat now doing great stuff over at Fantasy Pros. But P.J. Walker, a starting quarterback, a man that I watched do really cool things in the XFL. And he's even had some backup appearances in the NFL where he has thrown Shown the one is to throw the ball downfield. Kevin, P.J. Walker had minus one air yards. A quarterback did not have positive air yards in a professional football game. Like this team had 203 total yards of offense. It looked like it was a showcase for Christian McCaffrey, which, okay, I get it. He's your best player. Give him the ball a lot. Christian McCaffrey is awesome at football. But it just never for one second, like I don't know how anyone could be in that offense and not be pissed off at what was going on. It looked like a completely broken system, and it didn't even look like an offense that believed. It didn't look like the players were sent out there with a plan that even the coaches believe would actually be willing to work because if they did believe that was going to work, I, I, I just can't get over the fact that they had the jobs they do in the first place. So, I mean, look, start Christian McCaffrey. If you, if you have anything to say, Kevin, go ahead. I, I, I'm just getting frustrated even thinking about this team. I right mean, now. the only the only question for me is uh, <laughs> this is good. the savior. Your savior, Sam Darnold. Oh. Can Sam Darnold come back? He's been designated for return for IR. That opens up a 21-day window. It does not mean that he's going to be on the active roster. It does not mean that he's going to play this week. It does not mean he's going to start, but... I don't know if I'm the Panthers, like I'm just putting him in. If he, if he could play, I would put him in. What else are you doing this season? Do you know how bad this could be though? Like this is what, this is like what our fear was. If the, if the jets would have rushed Zach Wilson back, like if you take away Darnold's mobility, that's the one thing he can sometimes do. Okay. You see him play some backyard ball, get out of the pocket, make one, you know, big throw per week. He had that like 50 yard touchdown against the Broncos on Thursday night football a year or two ago that I still barely believe happened like a limited version of Sam Darnold could be the worst quarterback in the league. But to your point, I mean, it's not like the Panthers have been dealing with anything other than that uh, to this point. Yeah. He could be the worst quarterback in the league. And that's that the worst quarterback in the league is better than PJ Walker. Okay. So like at least like there's hope. No, actually, well, it's not that there's hope. There's something resembling hope for maybe DJ Moore and others if Darnold is back. So, like, who cares? Like, get him out there. I still think he's better than even a limited P.J. Walker. 
like if we're in the basement, we have like another trap door that takes us down to the PJ Walker level. Like Sam Darnold, there's can get a us- secret. There's a secret cauldron of lava <laughs> underneath the basement, and that's where PJ Walker has been has been rolled into. Unfortunately, Sam Darnold can get us back into the basement, man. Let's go. Let's, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's work our way back up to the basement. Sam Darnold, ba- basement is like this. The basement is the ceiling now. I think for this offense. <laughs> Oh my NFC West, your first place, three and three Rams. Do you have a bye week taking us to the three and three Seattle Seahawks? Young running backs just keeping on, keeping on. As great as Damian Pierce has been this year, the underlying metrics are even telling us that Kenneth Walker might somehow be even better. He is averaging 0.5 missed tackles forced per carry. Just for reference, everyone and their mother has been jerking off Javante Williams' stats last year in that exact same metric. He was at 0.31. So this rate, it won't persist over the whole season because if it does, it's going to just shatter every single record we've seen from it. I believe Javante's 0.31 mark was I ran the numbers. I think only like 2014 Marshawn Lynch was better, and he was at like 0.34. So really is special what Kenneth Walker has been doing. And Kevin, some of the assumptions that I know I had wrong on the Seattle offense, I thought their O-line was going to be mediocre. They've been okay enough. I thought their, I thought their offense wasn't going to be a good offensive environment, and they've been great with Geno Smith. We've been over that. And I wasn't convinced that either Kenneth Walker or Chris Carson had a chance to get the pass down work. Hey, Travis Homer was taking that earlier in the year, but now he's on IR with a rib injury. Really promising usage last week of Kenneth Walker that they're okay throwing him the ball. Total routes were in favor of Walker, 15 to 12. DJ Dallas did have more in, you know, third and longs and two-minute situations. There was four routes for DJ Dallas, zero for Kenneth Walker. But I think Walker, man, in this offense, even if Seattle turns a little bit back into a pumpkin and we don't see them, you know, putting up top 10 points per game numbers, uh, you know, for the rest of the year, even if that happens and their defense stays bad, I'm confident enough in this offense still being okay. And them being willing to feed Kenneth Walker, the ball that I think it's going to be really tough to keep him out of the definitely top 15. He might just be a weekly top 10 RB already, man. If this keeps up. Yeah. I I think for him, He's getting some of the pass work, so that's fine. That's what we want there. Right. And we talked about the whole broken tackle thing and what that means. Okay, so he's a guy who can break tackles. He can also avoid tackles. He can also run a 40-yard dash in 4.38 seconds at 211 pounds. Okay, this is not, this is a guy who's going to generate yards and explosive plays with how good he is running the ball. It was often said in, as part of this draft class, and I think it was probably true. I mean, it was true by the eye test, at least for me and by his metric and by our grading, that you could say that he was the best runner in this class. He just We just didn't know about the receiving work. And all this thing, people went head over heels about Brees Hall because he was drafted into a role where he was going to be starting earlier. He was the first running back taken. I mean, Walker was only taken shortly thereafter. He was also a second-round pick. He was also a very, very high-end prospect. So all those things come together to say, this guy is a big-time talent, and we're seeing it in the NFL. Sometimes you're hoping it's going to translate, and it doesn't, but – his 4.38 speed and his tackle breaking ability all translating to the NFL. And that is hugely important. Um, I also say for, for the running backs here, just to pivot off of this, I'm not like in love with him or anything like that as far as his talent, but if you have a spot on your bench, DJ Dallas, you might as well just throw him on there because, you know, Walker, like any other running back, can get injured. And if that ends up happening, the thinning out of that backfield means there's some possibility of him having a role going forward. 
Very good point. This week they're in Los Angeles taking on the Chargers. Chargers six-point home favorites. Game total, week high, 51. Love to see that. This year, Tyrell Lockett is the wide receiver, 12. DK Metcalf the wide receiver, 18. I, I don't know what it would ever take for uh, our community to rank Tyler Lockett ahead of DK Metcalf. I'm being a coward. I'm not doing it this week. But, yes, they're both playing very well uh, more times than not. Metcalf, I know he did it last week. Almost caught a touchdown with a little bit better pass from Gino. Let him a little bit more into coverage. Don't be afraid to go back to the well with both these guys. All right, we have the three and three 49ers. I was re-watching uh, their game against the Falcons. I, I always say rewatching. I watched the games once. I'm not trying to be a freaking hero out here. I was watching the all 22 of You're Jimmy grinding. Jesus. Give yourself give yourself an award. Give yourself an award for that. Little, yeah, there little, you go. A little self-pat in the back. But Kevin, I was thinking of you watching this because Jimmy G did not get any help last week. I don't think the mainstream media is uh, you know giving enough recognition to that. 50-yard dime down the field that hit Ray Ray McLeod in the hands, dropped. Char- Charlie Warner, backup tight end down the seam dropped there was a play where i wanted to make fun of jimmy g i think i even might have on the sunday night pod so hand up my bad where pretty clearly george kittle should have gone to back pylon instead he stayed in the shallow part of the end zone so it looked like jimmy g overthrew but smarter people than myself went out there and actually did it so hey i'm correcting it my bad jimmy g now, only 14 points. I don't expect, you know, them to have this sort of pass game volume every week to get a situation where each of Ayo, Debo, and Kittle were going off. But I just want to give you the floor, Kevin, because I know you're a Jimmy G apologist and the guy, I think, played his best game of the year last year, even though he didn't get the win. Hey, I'm not an apologist, okay? I'm a truther. There's a, there's a <laughs> distinction here because I believe in what we see, which is a top five efficiency quarterback from Jimmy G. I'm not apologizing for poor performance. <laughs> I'm highlighting the greatness of what's happening and bringing that to light when the when the mainstream media, the lamestream media tries to keep him down and the Twitter uh, cool kids try to keep him down. Uh, the Twitter evaluators try to keep him down. I'm just pushing him up and elevating what's ended up happening here. Uh, but, you know, they have problems if they can't run the ball, right? So Jeff Wilson uh, was a guy who people probably are pretty excited to even start this week after a couple of good games for him. You know, seven carries for 25 yards. Tevin Coleman put up the good old four carries for three yards in this game. Uh, they were not doing much. Debo Samuel did not get you know, his normal 50, 60 yards after the catch type of situation. Actually, he did get 62 yards after He did catch. force, Kevin, Kevin, he forced nine missed tackles on his receptions. I, don't think I, just, saw, I just saw the 79 yards and just assumed he did get it. Oh, no, he did, <laughs> he did actually get that much. Uh, Brandon Ayuk put up some big numbers, 340 yards. It's just things kept on stalling out in unfortunate circumstances. And that's something where normally they're really good at converting those third downs, but they weren't. And these running plays – you know, they passed it a lot, but they were in a bad game script for most of the game. But these running plays were just putting them in poor down and distant situations. And as you mentioned, a couple of drops. There weren't a ton of drops in this game. There were only two, but they were massive drops that happened here. So I'm not that concerned. They had a ton of injuries on defense, which guys will eventually end up getting healthy. I think that defense is still going to be good going forward. Um it's just got, you know, Jeff Wilson, you're not going to be able to trust him. You know, Tevin Coleman is still being involved in, in in that offense a little bit. So it's a bit disappointing, but it's not as if you spent high draft capital on Wilson anyway. You can just say, I'm glad that I have him on my roster. I'll put him in there if I need to, but I'm not necessarily going to be confident in it. 
After the first five weeks, I think the clear-cut top three defenses, 49ers, Cowboys, and probably the Bills. And, yeah, I think there was a point in the second quarter last week where the announcer brought up the 49ers were without five of their usual starters on that side of the ball. So not overreacting to that performance by any stretch. With the Jeff Wilson situation, Five games as the lead back. He's had 20, 15, 18, 18. Most recently, only seven touches, though. And the snaps are sliding. 73%, 66, 58, and 52%. Things we highlighted last week that we weren't too concerned with because they were five-and-a-half-point favorites against the Falcons. This week, though, home against the Chiefs. Chiefs are road favorites at three points. Game total of 48-and-a-half. And if you only look at the fantasy points per game allowed for by the Chiefs against running backs, it looks like a good matchup. It's not. They're the fifth-best defense. I'm sorry, fifth-worst defense fantasy points per game to running backs because they've allowed the most receptions and receiving yards to running backs. It's a scheme choice. Yeah, I'd probably rather have the running backs catch it than the wide receivers 30 yards downfield as well. Well, league low 13 targets to the running back in this San Francisco offense. Well, Jimmy doesn't really target. For a guy that you think doesn't stretch the field, he also is not a dump off to the <laughs> running back guy. He'll he'll throw an interception. He'll try to squeeze it in there in the middle of the field to somebody instead. He's normally like the ball comes out of his hand as part of the progression almost every time. So screens, yeah, but even then they love to run screens to Ayuk or Debo Samuel. And why wouldn't you prefer to do that than, than go to the running back? So that's a problem. I mean, last week, we're not counting Juszczyk, who's of course is, is involved and is down yeah. the field a little bit more. You know, zero targets, actually one target to Jeff for Jeff Wilson last week. Uh, for running for running backs, even in a game where they were trailing and you figured that, that they could pile those up. No, didn't have it. So I have Jeff Wilson, RB23, and that's high, honestly, after going through it. So I'm probably going to bump him down more so to RB3 range because this just 100% looks like the sort of game script where he is going to struggle, not only efficiency-wise, but also just getting the raw touches. Tyrion Davis-Price was back for the first time last week with that high ankle sprain. Didn't, I think, only played like one or two total snaps, but the first game after Elijah Mitchell was out, TDP was actually splitting things with Jeff Wilson far more evenly. Tevin Coleman isn't going anywhere for whatever reason. So Jeff Wilson, I do think that he is much more of a, uh, you know, RB3 flex type of player than that, you know, upside RB2 that maybe we were hoping for based on the first couple of weeks of action. Let's close things out with the last place, two and four Cardinals. We have Cliff Kingsbury. Hey, Kevin, this guy just wants to win. He's down to give up the play callings, if it, play calling duties if it means the Cardinals are going to win. What pisses me off about this, I think the Cardinals have been the most frustrating team to watch on offense this entire year. Not because they're the worst by any stretch. They're actually the single best offense in the league in EPA per play in the second half. They're 31st in the first half. Like, just tell Cliff Kingsbury the games are starting like an hour and a half, wrong time or something, man. Like, how can this offense look so damn good in the last 30 minutes and so bad in the first? Can injuries explain it? Is it just Cliff? Is it just Kyler? Thoughts on this offense? And if things can somehow find a happy medium, God forbid the whole game starts to look more like the second half. I don't know. There's some pretty troubling internals on this i mean kyler murray is dead last in yards per attempt this season uh yeah not good that's kind of like the fundamental if there's one stat that you want as far as a rate stat a simple rate stat that you want to have you want to maximize kyler murray first in the i mean last in the nfl guess who's first in the nfl by a long stretch josh allen so that's kind of like a stat that you're going to want to maximize here um and he's not, right? It, it, it's way down there. So that just shows the fundamentally broken nature of this offense. DeAndre Hopkins is back. We'll see what happens there. 
Um, I don't have the analytics on this, but I would like to see guys post PED suspension because DeAndre Hopkins wasn't looking that great last year. I know he had some injuries and some other stuff going on, you know, post juice. Uh, maybe there's uh, maybe he was maybe he was that that COVID season where he was killing that entire time maybe he was just like juiced up the whole time and never ended up getting caught until now so I'm a little bit concerned about that someone's you know shuffle some uh uh some uh, some HGH into DeAndre Hopkins please so we can get this offense going um and the running game is interesting but it's getting split up enough. A pretty good workload for Eno Benjamin, so I think you're you're happy about that. You could hope for a little bit of an explosion there. That's one of the positive sides. Ron, uh, Rondale Moore is another guy. Yeah, he'll be. He's got his like you know two yard a dot, a lot of volume, some yak. Maybe you can get something going. But just generally, it's just it's just like pulling teeth trying to get anything offensively. Could be even harder with Marquise Brown now being out for the foreseeable future with that foot injury. We do have Robbie Anderson now in Arizona. I am not even convinced that they're going to play Robbie ahead of AJ Green uh, to start the year. So no, Robbie is not. A I think they'll split them. Yeah, I think they'll work them in. I think they'll yeah. work them in. I think they'll work them in, but it should be Rondale Moore full-time in the slot. He warrants full PPR wide receiver three treatment in this good spot against a banged up Saints defense on Thursday night football. Game total 44 and a half Arizona two-point favorites. I, we're recording this at 1.50 p.m. Marshawn Lattimore was out last week with an abdomen injury. He's out again probably this week. He didn't practice on Monday or Tuesday. So if he's going to be out, that is setting things up nicely for Hopkins. And you left him on your bench six weeks to get to this point, man. If you're not starting this week, I don't know why you had him to begin with. I hear you. Last week, it was more touchdown dependent than we're used to seeing. But I still, as much as, you know, you and all these other people, Kevin, want to put all everything into yards as predictive and touchdowns are just random and all this, I still hold out some sort of belief that touchdowns, scoring touchdowns is somewhat of a skill. Last year, in the first seven weeks of the year before Hopkins got hurt, overall PPR wide receiver 12. I'm being a bit of a dick because bye weeks were in there. Per game, he was wide receiver 17. So even if we're not getting top five, top six Hopkins back, he's still a wide receiver. That should be in a majority of fantasy football lineups. If James Conner and Daryl Williams are out, we got to go back to Eno Benjamin. His workload was as good as we could have asked. 86% snap rates. I have him as my RB 15 this week, assuming those other two guys are out ahead of guys like Aaron Jones, Ezekiel Elliott, Dave Montgomery, and Najee Harris. Zach Ertz, your volume-based tight end one. Anything else to add there, Kevin? No, I think that's that's pretty much wraps it up. You're just gonna we're just hoping for something because man, it's been ugly. Kyler's been forced to run a bit more. <laughs> so that's something that we didn't get earlier this year. So if we can continue that with some a little bit more efficiency passing the ball, maybe he can start to be that guy that we thought was a locked in, I don't know, what was it, like fourth, you know, fourth or maybe at worst fifth um fantasy quarterback and could be in the conversation with some of those other guys clearly a tear down but could at least be in the conversation which is what we were hoping for that he had that type of upside coming into this year it better get it fixed fast i'm pretty sure the new call of duty comes out in two weeks so i don't think we're getting uh we're not gonna be getting the big uh swings after that hey uh, you want, he, he needs that guarantee now now he the way he's playing he's you want to make sure he's got that guarantee he's got some motivation at least Kevin, great stuff. As always, let the people know where they can hear you, where they can find you. And of course, they can follow you at Kevin Cole PFF on Twitter. Yeah, follow me on Twitter, uh, Unexpected Points Podcast. Tune in. I have a nice little analytics rant um, of, of the last. It's, it's, in the, it's in the discourse. Everything's in the discourse. So we talked about that, win probability. You know, they had a vaunted panel at ESPN. They brought in all 
of the greatest analytic masters from across the the, the land, uh, aka Steve Young, Booger McFarland, yeah. um, RG three, and Larry Fitzgerald. So that that went about as well as expected. So I, 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 I allow me to retort. I had some retorts <laughs> on my podcast. Love that. You can catch all my stuff on pff.com as always. Exciting personal news I don't usually don't share, but my, my uh, I, I actually have like four dogs basically with my family. I talk about Lily the most on Twitter, but little guy, Romo. I have a dog named Romo. Kevin, how about that? Cowboys uh, household here. This poor little wiener dog, man, had to under, he's lost. It's a common thing with wiener dogs. They literally lose feeling of their back legs. You had to give them a surgery. That's why I've been in my mom's basement so much to start the season instead of in my apartment and taking them back today to the doctor. It's been six weeks since the dude got surgery. He's walking again. Romo's running around again, wagging his tail. And I'm hoping to finally get that, uh, you know, just the uh, good old check of approval from the doctor. So love those med vets, love those furry friends out there. And very happy after, uh, you know, not, I, I know everyone's got problems, but tough times and uh, they're getting better. So love to see that and appreciate you guys putting up with me, you know, always having a different background here, seemingly every time I'm on camera over the first uh, stretch of the year. So always a great day to be great either way. And hope you guys all have a great week seven. So for Kevin, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everyone.